Hello and welcome to another episode of Learning Rewired, where leaders are challenged to rethink what, how and why they and their organizations learn. Learning Rewired is proudly presented by Headspring, custom executive development specialists as part of Headspring's commitment to fostering cultures of continuous learning. I am your host, Bevan Rees. In the studio with me today, I have Alf Wren, Professor of Innovation, Design, Management at the University of Southern Denmark. Alf is a best-selling author, strategic advisor for everything from hot new startups to Fortune 500 companies. He's shaking his head as I go through this intro. He's recognized <laughs> as a global thought leader in innovation and creativity and is in London for Thinkers 50, the uh, biannual event. Looking, and of course, to meet you. Of course. Well, let's be honest, Thinkers 50 is kind of second place. Isn't it? it is. It's it really is what third it's about, or fourth, isn't it? Really, yeah. Um, Thinkers 50 being a preeminent listing of management thinkers and ELF has been included on their guru radar, guru radar for a number of years, including the list of the 30 management thinkers most likely to shape the future. ELF, I am very excited to have you in the room today. It's delightful to be here. Thank you for being here. And, and I wonder if I could get your indulgence just to start. I'd like mm -hmm. to read you a letter uh, that I read this weekend from Clementine Churchill to Winston Churchill. Mm -hmm which she wrote on the day that Hitler invaded Paris. So a notable day in history recently. And there are a few passages I want to read from the letter and then just get your thoughts on it. So she wrote the letter uh, in response to a colleague of Winston Churchill's who came to her and spoke to her about how his demeanor had changed. The, mm -hmm. I mean, the man was obviously under a significant amount of stress. Mm -hmm but how his demeanor had changed and his personality had changed and he had become extremely closed off in his thinking mm -hmm. and extremely irascible and mm -hmm. negatively responsive, mm -hmm. responsive to, to people in meetings and consultations. And, and in kind of expanding on this, Clementine Churchill in the letter says, if an idea is suggested, say at a conference, you're supposed to be so contemptuous that presently no ideas, good or bad, will be forthcoming. And she goes on to say, It is for you to give the orders, and if they are bungled, except for the king, the Archbishop of Canterbury, and the speaker, you can sack anyone and everyone. Therefore, with this terrific power, you must combine urbanity, kindness, and if possible, Olympic calm. That's her advice to him. Mm -hmm. And her third piece of advice was, Besides, you won't get the best results by irascibility and rudeness. They will breed either dislike or a slave mentality. Mm -hmm. So I thought these were quite profound words from from the wife of the of the the uh, former prime minister, and I think there's a lot in there actually, which I'd love to mm -hmm. kind of uncover and really lead into a conversation today that we that we were framing around leadership in the 21st century mm -hmm. and how that relates to power, power distribution, organisations, but mm -hmm. also how power and leadership are related in the 21st mm. century. So perhaps your first thoughts on, on some of Clementine Churchill's comments. Well, I think there are at least three things that, that uh, uh, should be commented on. One, what a wonderful time it was when people still wrote eloquently and wrote proper letters. I and mean, wrote I, letters, yeah. And I think we've lost something in that, yeah. where, where people actually took the time to think through an issue, not just send off a WhatsApp message, but actually sat down with longhand wrote such beautiful actual prose. Mm -hmm. So that's one, but mm -hmm. that's possibly more my romantic side coming through. <laughs> the second, I think, is incredibly important. 
I think we underestimate how important it is that we have people around us, be they partners or, or close friends or, or just the jesters who whisper in our ears, mm-hmm. uh, who, who speak truth to power, mm-hmm. who, who can say that, listen, you're being difficult, you're not being your best self, you're actually being a bit of a prat. Mm-hmm. And I mean, she's clearly telling him off mm-hmm. if in a kind and loving way because she obviously knows her husband, so she knows she can't just go... Oi, behave. Uh, so she needs to kind of mollycoddle him at least a little. <laughs> so that would be the second point, the importance of having, well, basically guidance. Mm-hmm. Uh, or sometimes today we, we talk about coach and mentors, but I, I like the fact that sometimes it's simply your partner or, or a close friend. Mm-hmm. Third and most important, I think, for our conversation today is, of course, leaders have power. That doesn't mean that they understand power. Mm. And clearly this is a case of somebody being in a very difficult situation, uh, using power, but but in a rather blunt way, mm-hmm. and not even understanding the full range of their powers. Mm-hmm. And I see this a lot in, in uh, top business leaders as well. I mean, leaders who can still kind of behave arrogantly and walk into a room and uh, basically assume that everyone prostates themselves, yet cannot make those hard decisions and and do not dare to really go in and uh, set an example, draw the line and so on. Mm -hmm. And I guess we have to, in honor of Churchill, kind of say that he did get better. Uh, he, he was never perfect. I mean, yeah. very few of the great leaders are, and uh, he remained irascible and uh, and a <laughs> bit difficult to his very end. Mm-hmm. But I mean, he did uh, start listening, mm-hmm. and he did find at least a degree of humility mm-hmm. uh, to his leadership mm-hmm. and uh, used this in wise ways. And uh, maybe we should thank his wife for for setting him straight mm-hmm. and uh, have more of uh, more wives of great leaders on our currency and in our <laughs> squares as statues i think that would be fundamentally appropriate yeah uh, i mean i've heard the the term used before of um, a toe holder um, mm-hmm. that person who in your life or you know uh, in close to you be it professional or personal mm-hmm. who makes sure that you keep towing that line of decency mm-hmm. i suppose but and one, one of the first things I was got interested in as an academic mm. was actually a, the medieval figure of the jester. Yes. Now, the, the jester is a wonderful trickster-like figure mm-hmm. and, and was the only one who could truly speak truly to the king without being without fear for his life. Mm-hmm. And, and there are these, both in, obviously, literature, or including Shakespeare and, and uh, other kind of depictions as well, these wonderful tales of the jester who kind of goes and pokes his tongue out at the king and goes, you're being an idiot. Mm-hmm. Did you know this? Mm-hmm. You, who, um, wh- which one of us is really the fool? Mm-hmm. I have no power, uh, so I can do this. Yet you, with all your power, achieve so little and are just kind of caught up in your arrogance. Mm-hmm. And I, maybe we've lost our gestures. Mm. We're so po-faced and, and uh, we, we, we are often in our organizations, we are so worried about seeming serious and seeming proper and stiff upper lip and all that, mm-hmm. that we don't bring in these agents of chaos, mm-hmm. be they then the straight shooter, be they the devil's advocate or the gesture. And I think this actually diminishes our power rather than increases it. Because only by comments such as that of Fair Clementine or a jester can we truly reflect on what power is and what it means for us. Mm, absolutely. So that jester archetype, if we look back over the 
across the world, the myths, the tales, mm-hmm. the stories that that replicate themselves in theme across different mm-hmm. cultures and different origins of human story. There are certain archetypes that we receive mm-hmm. repeatedly, and the jester being one of them. So if this is such a fundamental part of our psyche, I suppose, and, mm-hmm. and definitely part of our social psyche, what do you think is the reason for this having become a dissipated force in modern business, modern leadership? Now, in a sense, we, of course, have tricksters in, in modern business, but mm-hmm. we call them often call them consultants. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is, that's what kind of creativity consultants or leadership coaches are supposed to be. I've become rather a harsh critic of, for instance, innovation consultants, simply because innovation consultants are supposed to be the punk rockers of the modern corporation, going in, kicking ass and taking names. Mm-hmm. Yet most innovation consultants I know are... Very good boys and girls. They are very proper. <laughs> they have their little model. And then they come in and ask nicely if they can have a little brainstorm. And it's also very cute and lovely and and does so very little. Mm-hmm. So we maybe should look also at do we actually demand of the people we bring in for this, be they consultants or coaches or even just new hires, are we kind of communicating that, no, I want you to raise hell. Uh, I want you to speak bluntly. Mm -hmm. I mean, and of course, this is a complex power dynamic. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been asked to come in to to a CEO, can you speak bluntly? And then I spoke bluntly and then they kicked me out again. (laughs) So so there is that. But what little success I've had in the corporate world has always stemmed from the same thing. I always start by telling CEOs, listen, I actually have a salary. You're not paying that salary. Mm. I have a university who's paying. I don't need your money. Mm. I don't need you to like me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm okay with you liking me and giving me money, but <laughs> it's not an absolute necessity. And I will speak the truth as well I know, as I know it. Mm-hmm. Some don't want to play that game. Some some prefer to be told beautiful stories and uh, little ditties about how great they are. But some are open to actually being challenged and being pushed and being asked difficult questions. And, and the fun thing, of course, is they also tend to be the ones who are best at using power because they understand power and they can deploy it in a proper way when it is actually needed. So that's, that's a really big question I want to ask you is... Um what it means to use power in, in the best way, in, in mm. your definition. So, I mean, if we go back to Clementine Churchill's letter, you know, on, on the surface, there's there's an issue here of Winston Churchill just being really unlikable at work, mm. right? And, and we all have experiences of this. And because of his position of power, that has a, a pretty negative effect on, on mm. the whole culture of, mm. of his team and, and of his mm. group. However, you know, beyond that, there are potentials that the team mm-hmm. and the movement are being robbed of mm-hmm. by by the leader taking that position mm-hmm. of power, which, you know, in this particular case, I mean, she, for example, actually references this, you know, she says, continuing this will breed slave mentality. And mm-hmm. as we all know, slave mentality is the, you know, the, the enemy of, of innovation and, mm-hmm. and creativity. So, so that's one negative outcome, for example. Talk me through your view of, of how the correct use of power does the opposite of that, actually mm. breeds innovation and creativity. And and if there's anything mm-hmm. that's related to that, mm-hmm. beyond innovation and creativity, that that can also only be accessed by accessed by this correct or better use of power. Mm. 
Well, it, power is, of course, always a humongously big uh, topic to mm -hmm. discuss. Mm -hmm. and, and I personally subscribe to a relatively what we academics would call Foucauldian view of power, mm -hmm. in which power isn't something that just resides in a person, but it's mm -hmm. a complex network which, where every time we deploy power, we also become the slaves of power. Mm -hmm. When I listen to that Clementine's letter, I actually think that she is far deeper a power theorist than, than might appear on the surface. Mm. I think what she's trying to, to in her subtle and, and quite uh, very intellectual way, say is you think you have power, but by behaving in the way you are, you're actually creating a, a situation where people will not bring you ideas, will not share their thoughts, will not engage. And that is actually the opposite of power. By thinking you have power, you're actually losing your power. And I mean, the slave mentality is a wonderful kind of concept because in a sense, that is the least power you can have over a human being is being mastered to somebody's slave mm. because it is such a directional thing. It is blunt. It A slave will run away the moment they have the possibility. Mm -hmm. A slave will only do exactly as much as you demand of the slave. That is not a strong power base mm. because it is basically built on sand. And she's telling him that... If power is just something we deploy, we just use as we would a hammer or a mallet, uh, it is actually almost no power at all. Instead, if you want to create the kind of corporate power in which you build an organization that innovates, that wants to follow you, that wants you to be the leader, the first thing you need to do is let go of some of these trappings. You need to start listening. You need to start thinking more about how you give power to others uh, because that starts engendering things such as loyalty, such as trust, uh, such as desire to follow. And these are immensely more powerful in the long run mm -hmm. than and simply the ability to be able to say jump and the other party says how high. Mm -hmm. But this is not easy, right? It is, of course, so that in any kind of hierarchical situation, uh, be it an organization, be it society at large, we carry with us a fear of losing our place. I think this is much like a relationship, actually. Mm -hmm. I mean, in a relationship, in a real relationship, not a one-night stand or a, or the first uh, kind of tedious te 10 dates, mm -hmm. but a real relationship, you have to give away power. Mm -hmm. You have to accept that, no, I may want to watch The Crown, the missus wants to watch something else, so we're watching something else. Mm -hmm. And you have to accept that and mm -hmm. see, this is a good thing. This is because we are no longer me, we are Two, mm -hmm. we are together, mm -hmm. and and own I become stronger by being part of this, even if I occasionally don't get to choose my clothes or what I watch on telly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and and in a similar way, I think uh, many bosses, and I want use the term bosses here uh, specifically, uh, try to hoard power, mm -hmm. try to kind of no no I have to make all the decisions, thinking that they are becoming stronger and stronger. When in, in actuality they're becoming more and more alone. Mm -hmm. They are they are effectively undermining their own leadership. Mm -hmm. You use the word leadership there. Yeah. Am, am, am I hearing, you know, when we speak about leadership as a general term, mm -hmm. that that's not a synonym for power, is it? Well, this is, I think, one of the great problems is that we have this term power and we sort of think we know what it means. Mm. But in our day-to-day -day language, 
we of course use the term power to kind of depict this fairly blunt uh, what in when in power theory is known as the first dimension of power this directive power I can get you to do stuff mm-hmm. either by mm-hmm. bribing you as in paying you a salary threatening you as in having a gun to your head or various ways mm-hmm. I would say that if we take a total look mm-hmm. on power kind of understand all its dimensions yes it can very well be a synonym for leadership mm-hmm. so Was Gandhi powerful? I mean, he was immensely powerful. Mm. He wrested one of the world's greatest countries away from the greatest empire the world has ever seen. Mm. That's power. Mm. Was he a leader? Well, we're still talking about him. <laughs> uh, and clearly many saw him as almost the iconic leader in his humble way, in his listening way, in his kind way, and so on. Mm. So I'm not saying that they are always synonyms mm. in all situations synonyms mm. but there are many situations where power and leadership could just as well be synonyms mm. but that requires that we see the positive side of power power is not just a bad thing mm-hmm. so if i come in into a room uh and i sit down uh and they've never seen me before these are people in an organization i say tell me your stories i will listen to them and they tell me all their stories am i using power or not You might say that, no, no, he's just listening and the other people are using power on him because they force him to listen. On the other hand, you could say that I'm the most powerful person in the room because I have come, I have gotten them to share. I'm now collecting all this information. Mm-hmm. I am now seen as the listening leader mm-hmm. or the listening character in this kind of situation. Mm-hmm. So depending on your perspective, I'm either utterly powerless, just sitting there like a muppet, shutting up, or the most powerful man in the room because I am now the one to whom all communication is directed. Fantastic point about the difference in perspective. Mm-hmm. I mean, so many of the the movements and the conversations that are going on in organizational change uh, these days and mm-hmm. social changes, I suppose, partly a conversation about the redistribution of power, the mm-hmm. redistribution of um, social power, but also decision-making power within mm-hmm. organizations, etc. So if I mean if we put that layer of perspective on top of that mm-hmm. when we when we're aiming to redistribute power and we're making those decisions based on our own perspectives that, that becomes very tricky territory to navigate right one of the greatest uh invisible leaders a term in leadership theory for leaders who kind of lead more from behind and from the background and uh the charismatic in front mm-hmm. and in media leader uh was the leader of a swedish big corporation i worked with and the first time i met him uh i was actually talking to one of his vice presidents and this little man fairly gray kind of blended in well with the wallpaper comes up and and i tried to be nice to him because clearly i thought he was some kind of middle manager and and I wanted to be kind, so we chatted a little. And, and then I put my foot in it by asking, so and so, what do you do in the organization? And he looks at me and goes, well, most of the days I'm the CEO. And I go, <laughs> okay, um, trying desperately to back paddle. Yeah. And later the same day, because I was speaking at his event, he is giving this speech. And uh, he's very brief in his speech and he speaks in a quiet way and he's not what you would call a, a stage presence. Mm-hmm. And immediately I react on the fact, it was this kind of CEO, he never once said I. He didn't say I am so proud or something like that. He, but instead he started saying stuff like, so we've had a great year and now uh, it would be important that we together kind of bring up this. But, and he started kind of bringing up people on stage, kind of bringing in more and more people and talking about how he had failed to see a, a thing that uh, the marketing group had suggested, but they'd done it anyway and how successful it was. And he brings up these people. And in the end... 
I still hear him talking, inviting more people on stage. But I realize as I look on stage, I can't see him. He's been hidden by his people standing there. And then I interview uh, these people afterwards about him as a leader. They would have gone into battle for him. Mm. They would go to their deaths for him. Mm. They they could not stop praising him. Uh, and I actually following what he was doing, he had reached through his incredibly gentle way, through his incredibly inclusive way, and never kind of putting himself first. If he gave an order, which he normally gave in this almost kind of par- almost a parody of of uh, weak power in this is. Well, wouldn't it be interesting if we... And then he said something. And you looked and the entire organization started doing exactly that. No questions asked. That is what we're doing now. Mm. And it was out of love. Mm. Pure love. Mm. And then here somebody might say, yes, but power and love are so different. And I go, are they? Mm. I mean, uh, Mm. my children whom I love to no end have limitless power over me. (laughs) Is it based on love? Of course. These are not kind of exclusionary things. Mm. And that CEO, through his gentle, mild-mannered, almost kind of disappearing into the wallpaper way, was one of the most powerful leaders I've seen. Yeah. I mean, that's a radical shift in perspective then, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I mean, I suppose power is often made more synonymous with domination, actually, whereas it doesn't need to be. When I teach power uh, at the university, I kind of ask the students the following question. In this situation... When I'm lecturing, who holds power? And they all, of course, kind of go, you do, because Mm. you're the professor Mm. and you're lecturing. On one perspective, that is very true. I can can do stuff to you and I can force you to stay here at least to an extent and so on. But, of course, you also extend a tremendous amount of power over me. Do you know what it's like to sit in front of 40 truly bored students? It's, you don't feel very powerful. <laughs> you kind of go, they are all kind of TikToking or, or playing whatever game is, is hot right now and, and kind of looking at me with their most bored facial expressions. That is a tremendous amount of micro power mm. they're using mm. towards me. If they want to do resistance, resist my power, uh, they have so many things they could do. Mm. The slow clap. <laughs> I mean, the slow <laughs> clap is is one of my favorite kind of resistance me- techniques because it looks like subservience. Mm. They're applauding. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in fact, everyone knows that the slow clap is a domination. It is signaling we resist your attempt at power. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And students can do this. Ask an employee's. Employees have so many kind of ways in which they can diminish the power of the bosses and the foremen and so on. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is what uh, the wife of Churchill is is trying to say here. Is, Is trying to say, if you keep doing this, if you just try to keep being a bully, uh, you will lose power and you will only build the resistance greater. Yes, you can start firing everyone, but in the end you will not have a power base. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to make too much of the gender issue here, but I mean, many of the best utilizers of actual power, true deep power I've seen, have been women Mm -hmm. who understand the kind of complex networks better than at least some of us dolt males do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, uh, And what I find tragic often is that you have 
men who've gotten into positions of great power in the hierarchical sense, uh, then not having that subtlety of how to use that, not understanding that sometimes becoming the servant leader is actually a way to create something far greater for themselves. Mm -hmm. Sometimes listening uh, is the most powerful thing a leader can do. Mm -hmm. Because... Again, we get so locked in this 48 laws of power, how to dominate. We read our Sun Tzu and our uh, so on, our Clausewitz. And, and it is the macho myth of power mm. in which we all kind of want to become alpha males and, and kind of beat our chests and dominate our surroundings mm. without understanding that that is just the merest, marginal, actually weakest form of power there is. This, we see so much of this in the media, right? These mm -hmm. these executive fallouts, um, these almost crazy and unprocessable examples of of corruption of power, basically. Yeah. Um, you know, which used to be reserved for kings and mm -hmm. barons, and and mm -hmm. now we see on almost weekly basis, you know, mm -hmm. in our newspapers and magazines. Um, and it is usually men. Is, is that perhaps reinforcing for this myth of macho power, mm -hmm. um, that that is what power is, um, and that's actually the power that needs to be redistributed, mm -hmm. really solidifying that one-dimensional view of power? Is that So that's my first question. Um, and then the second question is, there's this kind of, you know, this. I've heard Lord David Owen, um, uh, he wrote a paper on this with Jonathan Davidson about the hubris syndrome. Mm-hmm. And he said, it's a disorder of the possession of power, particularly power which has been associated with overwhelming success, held for a period of years and with minimal constraint on the leader. And that's how he defines this. And I think that mm -hmm. hubris syndrome is a great term for it. Mm -hmm. That's really what we're seeing day in and day mm -hmm. out now is, is mm -hmm. essentially executive hubris. So, so my question is, one, does that in, reinforce that one-dimensional idea of mm -hmm. power, similar to the kind that I came into this conversation with? Mm -hmm. um, and, and the second part of that is, how do leaders safeguard themselves against fallout from hubris, for example, mm, mm. from falling into that lapse? I mean, Winston Churchill never intended mm. to start treating people that way. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was quite an un unconscious development mm -hmm. and someone brought him back into line and you've mentioned the role of mm -hmm. the jester, but how else can leaders, I suppose, defend themselves against falling into that trap? Mm. Uh, I, I hear almost four or five questions in there, but I'll, but I'll kind well, of try probably to... Probably 15. If, if yeah. <laughs> but I'll try to kind of unpack a couple of... To begin with, I think it's important to note that it's not just men who get trapped in this course, macho yeah, myth. Yeah. I've, I've met many a female CEO who have acted far more macho than any of, mm -hmm. of the men around them. So, and, so I think it's more of a kind of cultural mythology of power in which you need to be this chest-thumping, uh, people-bullying character in order to be understood as having power. Mm. And I, I, yes, I think that is damaging. I think that's grossly damaging because, just as you say, it creates this hubris because it can actually... The, the scary thing about that bullying and about that blunt force power, it can work for a while. Mm. I mean, it, clearly it can. I mean, we, it would be completely silly to claim that uh, a bully will never succeed. A bully can succeed for a surprising amount of time. Mm. A bully never succeeds in the long run, but in the short run, the bully can have a whopping good time. Mm. But that, of course, builds hubris, and that builds the kind of notion that we can just keep doing the same thing we've always done. Mm. And be it in strategy, be it in leadership, be it in innovation, you kind of, you look at your short-term successes and believe that you've found the, the kind of uh, uh, the holy grail. I know, I know how this is done. And you just continue, and then all of a sudden you realize that your empire has disappeared around you. Mm -hmm. 
on one hand, of course, having truth-tellers around you, not hiring only yes-men and so on, is incredibly important. But I think more important is to realize that power is a tool, and a tool that you learn to use in, in various ways, or should learn to use in various ways. So when I talk to, to leaders and sort of help them with this, I kind of say, no, no, let's go through kind of different ways you've used power and, and which have been efficient and, and what did they achieve and which ones had positive outcomes or negative outcomes or both. And when you then start to reflect around how various kind of forms of using power can generate different kinds of effects, leaders often kind of realize, oh, my toolbox of power is actually far wider than I thought it was. Mm. Uh, but that requires working with it. Mm. And I often, when I talk, work with leaders, I kind of talk them through various kind of techniques, which may sometimes don't even sound like power techniques, but which can actually be so. So mm -hmm. one of my favorite kind of examples, is I, so I, I used to run a, a research group at a Finnish university. And uh, we were fairly successful, a small, tight-knit group, but uh, there was always the fact in universities, it's the professor's word is often the final word. Mm -hmm. So, but I didn't always want to be in the meetings. And also, I didn't want to be the kind who, who it's my way or the highway. So I told my group and said, you, you do realize that what you can do in a meeting if you want to push an agenda is you can just say, I talked to Alf and Alf's opinion is that we do this. <laughs> the only thing you need to remember is you call me or WhatsApp me afterwards to tell me what my opinion is so I don't kind of counteract this by, by having a different opinion. And some might say I completely kind of lost power there because I gave them the right to tell me what opinion I had. But I did so because I trusted these people. They were mm -hmm. smart people. I hired all of them myself. Uh, and I knew that they wouldn't use that in a way that would damage me. Mm. On the contrary, they would only use that to actually create a greater good. So in the long run, I became uh, the, kind of the guy who had the research group who was most focused, best results. Uh, we were very quick in decision-making because uh, occasionally I would just get these little WhatsApp messages going, you made, this, uh, you made this decision. If you absolutely want to counteract this decision, let me know. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, the decisions they made were as good or better than the ones I would have made. Mm -hmm. So here I am. Am I now powerful or not? Mm -hmm. I would claim I am part of a very powerful group. Yeah, that's a group that's with strong trust, mm -hmm. uh, with loyalty, uh, where we actually look out for each other. Mm -hmm. Even though I didn't make all the decisions, I ran an organization which made good decisions mm -hmm. and where it looked like I was being really smart. So there you're, uh, you, you're kind of echoing your your, your tale about the the CEO in the mm -hmm. sense that. I mean, your position there is a different identification. You're identifying with the collective rather than the individual, mm -hmm. for one. Um, but trust, I mean, that's a really powerful word. Again, you can go back to, to our most kind of primary relationships, our, our relationship with, an, with a significant other. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so I have an English girlfriend. Uh, I, I don't even want to say I trust her because there is such an implicit trust yep. there. So, so uh, obviously... She could betray me in in a number of ways. I mean, there is there is actually no limit to the number of ways she could betray me. And 
and I am open to that. I, I kind of have opened my heart to that. Mm-hmm. Does this make me less powerful? Well, in a sense, it, of course, makes me more open to be betrayed. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, without that openness, without opening that heart, you cannot create a powerful relationship. Mm. And I would say that she, of course, also trusts me. And together, we are, of course, far more powerful than we could be if we would continuously be in our own corners and, and double-checking and having to go through each other's phone every uh, every kind of evening and uh, so on. Yeah. So, so giving power can often be the way in which you create something powerful you're part of. And this part, this kind of dynamic, I think, is what some leaders kind of miss out on. Mm. It is actually not about you. Mm. It's not mm. about the leader. Mm. The, if you can be the biggest leader on a deserted island and you will not achieve anything. Mm. Or you can be the person who runs a Fortune 500 company with tremendous where, where you have given away so much delegation power you've delegated power you've delegated uh, in various ways opened your heart to people where you know every day that I could be betrayed mm. I could be stabbed in the back mm. but you know that by doing that we have created something far greater than any single one of us could have and there's that's really beautiful I mean from that there's this real paradoxical synergy between mm-hmm. vulnerability mm-hmm. and and power and how those two not only coexist they they're almost mutually necessary for to to obtain optimal value out of any kind of power establishment and here uh, i think that brené brown's work on vulnerability mm-hmm. has mm-hmm. been so powerful and i did just use the word <laughs> powerful with intent and mm-hmm. purpose um and uh, it is not until we become kind of aware and reflect on our own vulnerability that we can create something that transcends ourselves. Mm. And and I think that one of the reasons Brené's message uh, has been so well received is that this is something we all know in our heart of hearts. Mm. And so we have learned so much in our private lives about trust, about power, about vulnerability, about letting go, and so on. Uh, And now it is up to us not to believe that our human organizations are something completely different. Mm -hmm. We know we may not love our colleagues the way we would love a partner or our children, uh, but we still need to have kindness and trust towards Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. And leaders who embody this, who who understand that uh, they are still the same person who is a loving husband, and a kind father and trusting father needs to bring that to the boardroom as well. Mm. Not uh, in an idiotic sense that you would trust everyone blindly, mm. but so that you bring your heart, your soul, and the power of those two to the office. And that's an amazing vision. And for many people, quite scary um, to go mm-hmm. to that place, especially if it's not somewhere that they've practiced going professionally before. So. Mm. Uh, just, I suppose, to to kind of sum this up to a degree and, and kind of close this part of the conversation of Elf, what what do you say to leaders who recognize the need for that, who, who kind of look at themselves and, and realize there's some potential for growth there or even mm-hmm. a lot of potential for growth there? Where do they start? What, what's the one thing that they need to begin by learning, if you could even bring it to one thing? I, I can actually, in a sense, bring it to one thing, and, and it is simply this. Um, Start small. Mm. We don't need to start. I mean, often when you kind of talk about stuff like vulnerability or trust or power, you kind of 
I think there's something in us humans that we want to do it all at once. Mm-hmm. We want to kind of capture all of power in a in a kind of single phrase or or uh, just be totally 100% naked and vulnerable in front of others. And say, no, that's not how it works. But start by giving one person in your team some more kind of a surprising amount of power and see what happens. Mm. See how you like it. See what you think about it. Reflect about what happens when you allow your secretary to actually make decisions rather than triple checking everything with you. Mm. Did that hurt? Did you feel vulnerable? Uh, Did you feel scared? Uh, It's okay if you did. Uh, and we can talk about that. But you can do actually these things one step at a time. I think that courage is a good term. But how do you build courage? You don't build courage by doing the most scary thing in the world. You build courage by taking things a little further. But we need to find in all what we do, be it sharing with a loved one, be it delegating power in our organization, or be it just trying out new things. We can do so much if we just learn to do it a tiny step at a time, reflecting during every step what we achieved and and seeing that just how much trusting others, giving power to others and being a little more vulnerable can actually be. And to kind of sum it in a sense, Churchill did this. Mm. Churchill learned, mm-hmm. and he was not a man for whom this came easily. <laughs> mm. He learned to delegate power, and he learned to trust, and he learned to listen to others. Alfred, thank you so much. Thank Genuine you. Genuine pleasure to have you in, and thank you for that. Always fun. Thank you for listening. For more information about our guest or to access some of the resources discussed in this episode, please see the information section in your podcast player. If you have enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and stay connected to the latest ideas shared in Rewired, proudly presented by Headspring. Until next time, I'm your host, Bevan Rees.